The following program deals with a controversial subject. The theories expressed are not the only possible interpretation. Viewers are invited to make a judgment based on all available information. This is your captain speaking. We are beginning our descent into madness. Open, open, your, 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 my, my, my. And we're back to another edition of West of the Rockies. I'm Frank. Thank you guys for sticking around. I know it's late, but we have a, another really exciting show lined up for everyone tonight. Genevieve, how you doing over there? I'm doing really well. Thank you very much. You're doing all right? Yeah. Cool. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm, I'm looking forward to tonight's show. Uh, we have uh, Mr. Ben Hansen. People probably know him from the show on the Sapphire channel called Fact or Fake. And honestly, he's one of my favorite guests because I feel a lot of times the arena of the paranormal and the unexplained, it, it can be a bit overwhelming. And I can always count on Ben to give us a very sobering and balanced uh, point of view that really helps us put a lot of things into perspective. And some of the stuff that I want to ask him about is uh, not too long ago, this piece of footage came out of Chile and it seems to show, uh, by all accounts, uh, a UFO or a UAP, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. And it obviously puzzled the officials down in Chile for two years. And I want to hear Ben's take on this footage. I know that he can give us some insight that maybe we have missed. Uh, he was just on a Paranormal Lockdown on Friday night, a really fascinating show. It, it was filmed at Waverly Hills Sanitarium. And I want to ask him about some of the stuff that they used in that episode because Ben is also really on the cutting edge of a lot of the technology that is implemented in investigations, not just paranormal investigations, but sky watching and things of that nature. And uh, lastly, we'll be talking to Ben about uh, the Podesta emails. Everybody knows that 2016 was a tough year. We had a really, really aggressive election and a lot of things came out. And I want to ask Ben a little bit about some of the stuff that is found on these emails directed to Podesta. So without further ado, I'm just going to bring Ben into the conversation here and make sure that, uh, sorry, wrong button. Ben, can you hear us okay? <laughs> Frank, Genevieve, how's it going? <laughs> We're doing good. We're doing good. Thank you so much for taking the time for being with us tonight. Anytime that I have a few minutes to uh, catch up with you and talk to you, I always walk away a little bit uh, smarter on topics. Again, thank you for, for being with us. <laughs> well, thank you. It's quite the compliment. <laughs> uh, let's start with something that I think folks might be familiar with. You were just on Paranormal Lockdown. It's uh, uh, Nick Robb's uh, new show. It's in the second season. And uh, you guys visited the Waverly Hills Sanatorium, which is a pretty infamous location. I've never had the pleasure to be there, but uh, I mean, it's quite an imposing structure. And uh, if people are not familiar with it, Google it. There's like a row of gargoyles on this thing that adds to the spooky factor. Why don't you tell me a little bit about this place and why did uh, Paranormal Lockdown, why did Nick get you to come out there? What's your experience been like at that place? Nick and Aaron, especially on. Um on the show, Ghost Adventures always been kind of the coolest, uh, really down to earth guys. And, um, you know, so when Nick went off and started his own show in, on Destination America, we kind of traveled in the same circles and his producers kind of all got together. And I love the concept with this paranormal lockdown where, uh, when we were doing Factor Faked, we always had people saying, why don't you have guests on? Why don't you bring this person from this show and this one from that show? And 
usually it was because um, all these people are locked in contracts and you can't really bring them over from a completely different competing network. (laughs) It's not their contract. Well, now that a lot of us aren't on a regular show anymore, it's been a lot easier to do that. And I believe Katrina and Nick have had um, Amy Bruni and Adam Berry. Uh, I think Grant Wilson was on an episode. John Tenney and, and kind of continuing the tradition. He reached out to me, I think, in the fall or summer. Okay. Like, hey, we'd love to have you on. I said, sure, let's do it. What are we doing? And he said, well, how would you like to go back to Waverly Hills? And Waverly... I was trying to think just yesterday how many times I've been there. I guess I've only been there twice. Oh, really? Because we did an episode on on Fact or Faked. Yeah, I've been to Kentucky many, many times. Uh-huh. A lot of different paranormal events there. But I actually only been to Waverly just one time before. And um, he'd been there. Katrina had not been there. So I kind of talked about the experiences that I had. Um, one of the, the guys I do uh, charity events for, uh, Mike Couch, the Lost Limbs Foundation, he started into the paranormal working there. He was one of the guides and he told me some really creepy stories about stuff that he saw. So I kind of took all that and I decided, hey, why don't I bring this to Nick's show? Let's introduce some new technology. He's kind of picking my brain on some things that I'd wanted to do with Fact or Fake that didn't I, I didn't get to do. I said, sure, why not? I'll share this with you. Um, this is what I think we need to buy. And um, they got the stuff and we had it, we had it all ready, tried some new ideas. And when I got there, what I was really, really impressed with is a lot of paranormal shows take a lot of flack. Uh, the fans and people, you know, try to call them out. And they're like, oh, this is so set up. This is fake. This is that. You know, they don't really stay there. Well, I can attest <laughs> to you that Paranormal Lockdown is a legitimate show. When they say lockdown, they are locked down. Wow. I was really impressed. I really got to know Nick on a different level on this show because he's not just pretty face. He's a guy who truly, um, we could just talk for hours picking each other's brains about different theories. And he's like, well, let's try that. Let's do an experiment with that. Let's get the equipment for that. And then I remember when I left, it was getting towards like dinner time. And, and typically on a show, you know, like fact or fake, we either have food brought in or we run down the street, go to a cafe and then come back. Uh, for the the night investigation, I was thinking that's what they're going to do, and uh, I was like, "Well, we're going to go get food or something." I was like, "No, we'll, we'll order it. We'll have it brought here. We don't we don't leave." And I was like, "Well, do you do you change your clothes? Do you shower? Do you, no, we stay here." I'm like, "You stay in the same clothes and don't shower for three days, and you don't leave this place, not even during the daytime. No, typically not. We just stay here the whole time." They're definitely trying to do this properly. Think about it at home. Unless you have the flu, right? Mm-hmm. Who actually stays in your house for three days? And here they are living and breathing and, and stinking, you know, <laughs> the, the paranormal. And they, th- that's the premise is that rightly so, so many people just kind of dip their toe in it. And they're like, yep, nothing here. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they really want to absorb it and get used to the sound, get used to the environment and live it and see if their presence affects anything. So that's what really first impressed me is that um no one would know nobody like if if they took off and they only filmed a couple hours a day no one in in the tv audience would know they did that but they don't and it's really legitimate and it's it's first and primarily i think a serious attempt to study the phenomena and secondly it's a tv show 
it just happens that they have cameras, very, very minimal cameras. Um, I know networks don't even like us talking about how the filming is and everything, but uh, these guys are so above board. It's just so cool to go on, on their set and work with them that, you know, I'm, I'm sure they wouldn't mind me telling you. <laughs> well, it's really refreshing to hear because as you pointed out, the fans that watch these type of shows, they are very critical about the procedures to investigating how things, uh, you know, are carried out. So it's absolutely refreshing to hear that there is a show where they're trying to keep everything as controlled and legitimate as possible. Let me make a quick parenthesis here because over the last few months, we've been discussing, you know, the paranormal as a whole and how it is uh, or it has become so popular in, in the U.S. You get a chance to travel all over the world talking about these uh, subjects. But what is your take on it? Is the U.S. a little bit more prone to believe in the paranormal compared to some of the other countries that you've visited? That's a good question. Um I'd probably say that uh, we're probably more skeptical, to be honest. Really? Wow. I, I would like to, in fact, and we'll maybe get into this a little bit later, but mm -hmm. we have a mutual friend, Chris and, uh, and Ed, you know, I call Chris and Ed, but <laughs> over at Chapman University, yeah. these guys, they're, they're going around doing studies and surveys of the um, sociology of all this and what, uh -huh. what cultures believe more in, in one thing or another. I don't know what the stats say out there, but my kind of anecdotal uh, experience has been that Latin American countries especially are far more superstitious. And the United States, I kind of put us somewhere in the middle, kind of half and half, because um, the trend kind of right now, honestly, is not as many people are getting into organized religion. But on the flip side, more people are believing in UFOs and, and ghosts. And as much as we like to try and make this distinction between science and religion and the occult and the paranormal, I think we're kind of far more blended. We can live in both worlds, you know, and say, look, there's a way of understanding some things through science. And then there's a way of understanding things that science doesn't yet know and we're comfortable being in that world. And so I think that's kind of how I see the United States. Europe is kind of a mixed bag. I don't know. I, I kind of put England maybe kind of in the same as the U.S., but you get some countries that um, really don't put any stock in this at all. And then you have a country like Iceland, where over half of the people believe in um, gnomes and fairies, elves. Actually, yeah. <laughs> right, right. So, I don't know. The culture influences things a lot. Sure. But here in the U.S., I'm, I'm not quite sure where we fall in line. I think we're probably somewhere in the middle. It's interesting. Uh, like I said, we, we've been discussing that. And as you mentioned, uh, Professor Chris Bader from Chapman University, he wrote a, a really interesting book about that. And uh, I'll be honest, that book really got me thinking and trying to kind of see the wider scope of the paranormal scene, if I may use that term. Close parentheses, let me get back to the investigation over at Waverly Hills. Because, Ben, every time I see you at an investigation, you always have some cool gadget that it's some like really advanced, ahead of the curve type of device. And in this particular episode, I saw you guys using, I mean, I really don't know how to describe it. It's almost like a floor mat made up of multiple LED lights. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the, uh, the way this thing worked was that it would sense whether something was walking on top of it and it would light it up. And I thought that was really interesting. We saw it in action on this episode, but can you tell us a little bit about this device? Uh, how did you come across it and how is it actually meant to work? Sure. So when, when Nick had first contacted me about doing the episode, um, like me, Nick likes to introduce new technology in every episode if they can. And I gave him three or four different ideas and the light panel was one of them. 
using the drone with the thermal was another, but I think they already had a solution for that. I don't know if they'd used that on previous shows. And then a third one, which I probably can't mention yet because they might use it later. I don't remember seeing it in this episode, but at any rate, so the light panels, I can't take full credit for that. I was at Scarefest, you know, this, this large, um, paranormal conference in Kentucky. And there was a paranormal group who had one of these and they showed it to me. And I said, do you think I could use this on fact or faked? And they're like, yeah, well, it's just a kit. You can buy it online or you can buy these panels completed. And I said, this is an awesome idea. So I had first introduced it and tried to get actually the uh, company to go along with me on board because these panels are not cheap. And uh, the company, I won't mention them by name. I don't want them to feel bad, but they didn't want anything to do with it. Oh, really? <laughs> they, they actually didn't even want their product name mentioned or shown. Um, I think they have something against ghost hunting. <laughs> so they designed it for what purpose, if not the uh, paranormal uh, investigation? Purpose. Well, it's a kit mm-hmm. mainly kind of for kids. Um, mm-hmm. It's a, an electronics kit that they put together and it teaches them, you know, just a little project that you can make designs with your hand as you run it over. And it's uh-huh. just kind of a cool little visual effect. But what they are, they're a bunch of LEDs that are in a grid. And then there's sensors, little IR proximity sensors everywhere. So kind of the same thing when you would. Uh, have a security system and it's got an IR motion sensor on it, but it has a range, I'd say probably of about five or six feet or so. And the closer you get to it or the more intense of a a feedback it gets from something in the IR pathway, it gets brighter and only in that panel, which was really awesome. So they kind of proposed the idea and then I kind of expounded on it. And I said, you guys are onto something here. And I was like, what if we, hook a bunch of these panels together or put them in a doorway. So you got them kind of up around the sides of the door jam, which is something we didn't get to try because they're very fragile. But, you know, in the future, we might mount them on something. And then in theory, just the same as a motion sensor might go off if it senses a semi-solid or spirit exhibiting some energy. Why wouldn't it, you know, as it's passing over down a hallway or through a doorway? So we loved it. They loved it. They ran with the idea. And... I think we had about four panels together, which made it about you know, it like maybe four or five panels, five feet long, and put that down there in the body chute. So my experience in Waverly, the most significant one that I had was hearing footsteps shuffling and then um, that metal gate that was slamming. So right. that all happened when I was with Factor Fake. And I was like, well, why don't we put this in a long hallway? And, um, you know, they chose this location. Let's put it here. Because if there is scuffing, if there is something passing by, maybe the thing will light up. And how spooky is that? As you're watching it progress, you know, from one light panel to the next, to the next, it's getting brighter. And you're like, ah, something's heading this way. (laughs) So I think it worked pretty well because especially when I left um, in the episode, you can see as Nick is sleeping, he felt something awoke him. There was some sound and then those panels started going off by themselves. Right. So, uh, yeah, who knows? I thought it was a really cool device. I'm surprised that I guess it was geared towards children, but I guess the Ouija board was also. So I don't know if it'll follow in the same uh, footsteps <laughs> of the Ouija board where it was like a kid's story that turned out to be quite good when it comes to paranormal uh, investigating. <laughs> I thought it definitely added to the scary factor because as you mentioned, there is that scene where uh, Nick is it's sleeping in this foldable bed and he's got this row of LED lights that all of a sudden just start lighting up 
heading in his direction. <laughs> and, and yeah, no, I must say that was quite a, quite a scary moment there. You also mentioned, and I know folks at home got a chance to see this as well, this drone with the uh, infrared camera. I know that you, at least the times that I, I've had the pleasure of being there in an investigation with you, you often bring out these uh, infrared devices. How accurate have you found that they are in paranormal investigations? Have you had pretty good results with it? Well, to be honest, I, I see it more as a very expensive, um, and I don't like the word debunking, but like a something to ascertain or verify, verifying tool, let's call it. I myself, so I have a, a night vision company, you know, um, and I sell night vision and thermal equipment. When you get into thermal gear, it's kind of like the holy grail of, you know, the, your, uh, if, if you guys, if your team has a thermal camera, you're serious. It's only been recently that you could actually get your hands on one of these, a decent one, you know, between three, $4,000. Wow. And um, some of the ones we sell are actually only about, yeah, uh, fifteen hundred, okay. and um, they're they're three sixty by two eighty eight by three three forty. So think about your your uh, your old computer screens that are six forty by four eighty, and mm -hmm. um, these are half that resolution. But for thermal, it's not all that necessary. And now six forty by four eighty is the the latest and greatest. But you're looking at like six to seven grand wow. for one wow. of these scopes, and that's why people don't really use them much in ghost hunting. I mean, that's a serious hobby. You got to, you know, ask the spouse and <laughs> right. like, save your pennies. So, Absolutely. <laughs> why we use them? Well, uh, what I like to do is to set one of those things up, have it recording. And um, what you're looking for is to verify other instrumentation or, you know, when people feel things. So if they say, hey, did it just get colder in here? Most of these thermals have a little crosshair where you can move that around the room and it'll tell you exactly what temperature the wall is or, mm -hmm. or any spot. And, um, you can look under a doorway and say, well, I see that there's cold air coming in through here. And that's, you know, why they use it for plumbing and air conditioning jobs. And, and so you could say, oh, that's probably what it was. Well, my team on Factor Faked has captured some, you know, interesting images that kind of like are sort of fleeting. You know, you'll see some something that looks like a figure or whatever. Personally, when I've been out, um, I have not captured anything on thermal that I couldn't explain. Um, so that's why I say, is it something that, that really adds to the field and everything? I Well, there's a lot of things I haven't had personal experiences with, a lot of different technology, but people swear by it. And I've seen some good possible evidence presented by other teams, but I wasn't there. So I, I can't tell you for sure if they were looking at a reflective surface and they were seeing their own reflection. I know in the case of um, Factor Faked, they picked up a figure that was sitting in a, a chair, the other half of my team that was out there in a, in a movie theater. And it looked like a figure, like kind of just that one chair. Wow. And I was sitting there and then they started to go up to it and it, and it kind of disappeared. So it's like you know, most things that we investigated, there's not a a definitive answer to it, but it is something that um, I think deserves more looking into. I see how, in theory, the uh, thermal camera could work, but I really appreciate your honesty in saying that you yourself have not captured um, anything in particular with it. And as you mentioned, it's a pretty expensive technology that is barely kind of making its way down to, I guess, the uh, consumer level, if you will. I mean, it's still quite pricey, even at that 
price point, but definitely more accessible. Do you find that people are not too receptive to thermal? Because I know that for years now, people have been doing a lot of night vision stuff. Even, you know, when it comes to uh, UFO and, you know, Skywatch things that I know you have some experience with. So do you think it's only a matter of time before the, the thermal makes uh, its way down to people's hands and maybe then we'll see some results? Or do you think that maybe this technology is not 100% maybe geared towards uh, the paranormal and more of a physical thing? Because it, it is kind of military technology, right? Like recon and that type of thing. Yeah, so you brought up a lot of good points. One of them is that in the United States, at least, we're very lucky. Mm-hmm. We're very lucky because this is military-grade stuff, and um, most of the thermals, things that I sell, um, can't be exported to other countries without special permits by oh, the State wow. Department. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, our government, you know, trusts us, I guess, you, if you want to say, yeah. that no, it's not secret stuff. It's not, you know, it's not like if the, you know, terrorists want to get his hands on it, that suddenly he's got all this power because they can get them if they really wanted to. But they try to limit, you know, who has their hands on them. And um, what's really cool, though, is that if if you do have one of these, um, it opens a whole new world where I think we should be exploring. Because if we're talking about different dimensions, per se, yeah, we're talking about, um, sharing the same physical space, obviously, but seeing it, there's a different spectrum where visibly these things could be perceived. And with visible light, you get what you get. I mean, you've, uh, you can only mess around so much with polarizing light and things like that we visually see. So if we go above or below those frequencies and we get into the ultraviolet or we get down into the infrared, it's possible it's possible that, that some of these worlds can be recorded and uh, sensed and, and perceived in that. And so I do like the idea of getting into the other world so is, or the other um, spectrum. Mm-hmm. So if people start getting more of this stuff in their hands, trying uh, different experiments with it, I think it's, it's a good thing. It's a good idea. I try not to have my hopes too high like I think we would have uh, probably already recorded you know amazing evidence in the thermal if it was the end all mm-hmm. but it, it might help us kind of get to that place. That is very true and I'm always interested to see how technology might get us closer to finding the answer to some of these paranormal questions uh, absolutely. Continuing with the topic of the paranormal I know that you are working in in a joint effort with Haunted Orange County to uh, bring some paranormal history to life, if you will. In the area of Huntington Beach, which is a really lovely area of Southern California, if people haven't had a chance to visit, I definitely uh, recommend that they check it out. It's a beautiful place. And you wouldn't think that a place like this would have much of a paranormal history, right? I guess uh, people have this conception of Southern California as being this sunny place where everybody's this happy-go-lucky character. (laughs) Uh, But it it would seem that, you know, you start kind of digging. You begin to find some really dark stuff in Southern California. uh, Some happy people have dark stories. That that is very true. But why don't you tell me a little bit about this event and subsequent tour that's going to be happening at Huntington Beach. And why Huntington Beach? It's a nice beach town. I wouldn't think anything bad would happen down there. Well, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, if I didn't live in the United States and I was coming here to visit, and if I asked someone, say, okay, where's 
the most concentration of, you know, paramally active places, you'd probably say the South, you know, go to Louisiana or go to, you know, uh, South Carolina or something like that and get into the plantations or go up to the Northeast and you get into Salem and all those things. Um, Southern California does have some, some really cool hotspots. We've got history of how the West was settled and um, Huntington Beach's history is a little more modern than that. But um, I actually live here in Huntington. And so it made sense to me because, uh, you know, both of us are mutual friends of, of Ernie, who uh, owns and runs hauntedoc.com. Um, so he'd been doing these things in Santa Ana. He's been doing them in Orange and started out uh, really cool ghost tours mixed with history. And then about the time that I met him, we started integrating actual investigations. So you're not just walking around and learning about a building and who hung themselves there, or what bar owner did this or that, but we're actually going in and, and doing cool things. And so somebody involved with the tourism board here in Huntington Beach, I believe, was kind of doing her own tours. And she said, you know, look, I, I tried sort of a history thing and it had some, some good success. People are asking about it, but it requires a lot of effort and you seem to know what you're doing, Ernie. So <laughs> <laughs> do you want to come in and, you know, take over? And Ernie's like, well, I happen to have a friend who lives there. So he calls me, he's like, how would you like to run some tours? You know, maybe throughout the year, a couple times a month. So we'll tell me more about it. So Huntington Beach likes to be called Surf City USA, and they have this claim to fame. There's one other city that battles them for the title. But it's kind of funny, because we all know, if you know anything about California, that Huntington Beach is where the U.S. Open surfing competition is, which is out of control. Mm -hmm. So many hundreds of thousands of people come here, and they kind of tear up the place. Wow. Don't even care about surfing. But <laughs> the reason the roots are here is because the great Duke... <laughs> I won't, I won't try to pronounce his Hawaiian name, but he comes over from Hawaii, you know, um, really, really early on in the 1900s and I believe it was, gosh, I don't even want to name a year, but at around that time period, not 1900s, he was like 1950s. I'm sorry. So anyways, he comes over and you have some of the legends of surfing who, uh, started the competitions here, introduced the sport brought it along to what it is now surfboard makers and shapers and all this stuff. And along with that, you get these legends of these great surfers who supposedly, uh, you know, have been seen, they've been seen out on the waves. Wow. Really? You know, late at night and people have witnessed these. Yeah. Yeah. Ghost surfers. Wow. So you've got stories like this that, uh, we start digging around that seem to be pretty legitimate. So, we decided let's build a tour based on the old history of the old town Huntington beach. And let's find as many stories as we can. And so the kickoff event is going to be in February on the uh, 22nd at 7 PM. So if you're in Southern California, come down. It's not a very big museum, but the museum is, is struggling and we're doing a, a fundraiser that all the proceeds it's only like, I think, $10 a ticket right now. Mm -hmm. Everything is going directly towards them. And I'm going to be giving a lecture on what we've learned so far and kind of giving you a taste of what um, the walking tour is going to be like. That's cool. So lots of events I'll be doing across the country. But this is this is the first one, I think, that we'll be doing here in California this year. 
That sounds really interesting. Honestly, honestly, and I haven't even talked to Ernie about this. I didn't know about this paranormal aspect to Huntington Beach. So this is happening on, I got here uh, Wednesday, February 22nd at 7 p.m. at the Huntington Beach International uh, Surfing Museum. And definitely go to hauntedoc.com for uh, more details. And where you can get your tickets are $10 for the pre-sale. So it's definitely not, not a bad deal for people to check out. Again, you visit so many places. Do you find that most places have somewhat of a haunted slash paranormal history? You know, like people say, well, the place has to be old. You know, mm-hmm. it'd be haunted. But no, it doesn't. I mean, there's there's houses that are brand new. There's towns that are, you know, really, really new. And, and the stories don't have to involve, you know, maybe Native Americans who had the land before or whatever. Right. But it does seem that the towns are a little bit older. My theory is a lot of people have passed through that same location. So whether, let's say it's a ship like the Queen Mary, how many thousands of people have lived their lives on that? How many have, you know, gone back and forth in World War II, um, you know, serving their country or died on board or were on cruises? And, and so I think the more concentrated that a place is where it, it's had a lot of people go through, it seems to be more active. So when you go to, you know, visit a place like Huntington Beach, it really, from what I know, I mean, it didn't really spring up uh, until about the 60s. This was mostly like orchards and stuff here. And before that, it was occupied by the Spanish. So when you're looking at uh, the, the surfing legends and hauntings and, and all that took place, we're only talking, you know, pretty much about the, from the 60s onward, yeah. 50s and 60s. So. Um, no, it doesn't, I guess to answer your question, it doesn't, it doesn't really surprise me. Um, but it's really cool because people like Ernie's tours, um, there used to be a lot of pushback when you go into a city and the chamber of commerce, and and, and you probably remember this too, because it, it really wasn't that long ago, probably about be, right before ghost hunters and the, the popularity on TV started. Right. But Back a little bit before that, you talk about ghost stuff, and um, people are like, yeah, that's nice, but we, we don't talk about, we talk about legitimate history here. We don't want you coming in and talking about silly things like ghosts, or or worse, you know, things that are involved with rituals and seances. Right. You know, and there was this pushback, and the city... Uh, chambers of Commerce Visitor Bureau, they want nothing to do with ghost hunting. And um, what's really cool now, partly, I think, because of the popularity of these groups that have started, the TV shows that normalize it, is that a lot of these um, cities are all for it. And they're like, yeah. Why? Because you can't get kids, you can't even get adults to go on a tour of their own town sometimes uh, and do do history because it's boring, right? <laughs> right. But now you add something and it'll take a ghost tour. Well, guess what? Now you just learned about how interesting history can be because it's told through the stories of, of you know, some ghost tales along the way mm-hmm. and what people have seen and experienced. But you're actually learning history. And I think it's a great way the visitor bureaus and everything to get on board. And that's what we're seeing now. So you'll, you'll see more towns getting behind it and uh, learning things about the paranormal in each town that you never knew existed. 
You know, it's so funny you mentioned that because no joke, you're the second person in the last 24 hours that has mentioned, um, you know, basically using the paranormal as a, as a teaching tool, uh, you know, mm -hmm. for, for history. As an uh, educational tool. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, <laughs> would that be a fringe benefit of the paranormal, do you think? Or do you think it'll take away from the main point, which is trying to find out what is on the other side? Well, yeah, I think it's a benefit. I mean, I don't know it takes away much because if if you're more accepted and it's more accepted, then we can get into more places. We can get people to open up more about their stories. Right. And then we can do what we want, you know, as far as the research. it's What makes it hard is, for example, when we were filming our show, you still can't get into national parks. Uh -huh. um, you, can't, you can't actually at night investigate Gettysburg. Oh. You know, there's... Now, I agree. I mean, I'm not saying I disagree completely with this, but there's a sense of kind of sanctity with, with some of these places that they say, no, this is this is sacred hollow ground, which is true. But they're like, we won't allow something like ghost hunting to take place here okay. because people get all upset thinking maybe that you're going to be calling out the ghosts of the Civil War <laughs> or who knows what. <laughs> right, right. Right. Or being disrespectful, of which. Course which is important. So officially, I don't think um, some of the government, like the national parks are going to be on board for a while, but um, you do see like uh, this came up the other day with the UFO subject when it comes to history. It's, it's really cool that um, I have a, I have a friend, massive, massive collection of, of UFO files from MUFON and, uh, videos and pictures and he's just he's filled like a, a whole room of his house with things I haven't seen it quite yet but he keeps telling me to come down to New Mexico anyways New Mexico State University hears about him somehow and uh, their archivists kind of get together and they, they set aside grant money to buy collections from people and they're like hey <laughs> He's a young guy still, but he's like, when you die, <laughs> would you like to make an agreement with us that we can uh, be the inheritor of your your collection? Because this is important stuff. And there, wow. so now he's entered an agreement where it's kind of like the Da Vinci Code. They're going to put all of his files in a climate controlled vacuum sealed room, right? Mm -hmm. And and it's going to be preserved for history. So his point is this. Um, He's trying to get more colleges and universities to teach classes, maybe start out in a, you know, a non-credit class, right. but allowing these things to be taught in academia because whether it's ghost hunting or UFOs or what, look, it doesn't matter if you believe in it. It doesn't matter if it, it really represents that we're being visited by aliens or that there's life after death. Those questions we may not be able to answer. It doesn't matter. What matters and what you cannot deny, what we all agree on, is it's part of our history. And the belief in ghosts, the belief in UFOs, the government files, um, how much has been discussed in politics about it, that is part of our history. So that is worth protecting. Very well put. And, you know, it's funny to talk about that being part of our, our history. I was reading up a bit on the Ghost of the White House. Uh, I don't know how many people know this, but apparently the White House is quite haunted, quite haunted house. location. Apparently, even President Obama reported saying <laughs> some funny stuff. 
So it does seem like part of our history involves some of this uh, unexplained things that some people call them echoes from the past. And, uh, and or the past reaching out to you because they have something to say, you know? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Then we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, you know, I really want to go in on this situation with uh, the UFO video that came out of Chile. It's a fairly recent video. And I know you have plenty of experience looking at videos with uh, strange phenomena on them. And I really want to get your take on this as well as going back to last year's election, which was probably one of the toughest elections. Uh, you know, I haven't been around for that many years. I mean, I have, but I'll save the contrary. <laughs> so, uh, but it's definitely one of the, the, the toughest elections that we've seen in recent history. And in the middle definitely. of that, a lot of stuff came out and John Podesta's name came to light here with some leaked emails and apparently there is some reference to ufos they got a lot of folks excited and i want to get your take on that as well so is it cool if we just ask you to hang on the line for a few minutes while we play a few songs and then come right back yeah let's do it all right we got ben hansen on the line we're gonna get back to him in just a few minutes we're just gonna take a quick cup of the hour break we've been talking about all this paranormal stuff and now we're going deeper we're going deep. Yeah, we're entering the UFO, or I guess UAP now, it's wow. like a thing, right? The UAP yeah. phenomena. So uh, stay tuned. Uh, West of the Rockies is coming right up. We're going to go uh, to break with a track by uh, one of my favorite bands, KMFDM. But this, when they changed their name for an album to MDFMK, like the same name, but backwards. <laughs> it's quite genius. <laughs> this is Rebel Raster by MDFMK. Enjoy. West of the Rockies is coming phone, right sir. back. <laughs> what? I was just pronouncing it. There you go. Yes, up the thumb cup. Here we go. West of the Rockies with Frank. Open, open your, your, your mind. We're back to the second hour west of the Rockies. South Frank, thank you guys for sticking around. We're having we're having a great time right now. As always, I'm Engineer Frank on Twitter, West of the Rockies on Facebook. Don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at WTRRadio.com. Mm -hmm. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash WTR Radio. As always, I'm joined by Genevieve at Genevieve Uway on Twitter. Yep. Good luck spelling all that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah, you can catch her here every Thursday at 8 p.m. Hosting No Out of Flavors, music, jokes, facts, yep, and a starting, lot of fun. Starting this coming oh, week. Oh, yeah. yeah. A lot of, a lot of good stuff happening to year. kick off First 2017. Absolutely. And tonight we are joined by uh, a good friend of ours, Mr. Ben Hansen, TV host of Sci-Fi's Factor Fake. You can find him on Twitter at BenHansen00. And you can also check him out on the web. Visit his website at benhanson.com. He is always doing really interesting stuff. And uh, honestly, uh, like I said at the top of the show, he is probably one of the, the most rational people I've met. Because, I mean, obviously, it's very exciting topics that pop up when you are yeah. into this type of thing. And you always need someone that's down to earth and, you know, a bit grounded yeah. and rational. And I'm definitely not that person. That's why I like having Ben on the show. So oh, let me... Frank's always up in the clouds. <laughs> so let me just bring back uh, Mr. Ben Hansen. 
Ben, what's next on your calendar? What do you got coming up? Well, man, you know, the 2017 is just starting to shape up. It's, um, I had to kind of put a lot of events on hold because I, I kind of, well, I haven't been able to commit to them, I should say, because <laughs> I work in a lot of different areas and, um, I have like my, my family has a disaster survival conference we put on. That's really huge. And I have a, a large part to do in that. And so, um, the very next thing that is confirmed, looking at my calendar here, um, probably, well, besides the Huntington beach event, I'm going to be in Arizona on the, um, fourth of February, which, um, is pretty much Phoenix, uh, proper area where we're going to be, I'm going to be speaking to the MUFON, um, group there and giving a lecture. And then I head back in two weeks to Arizona again for the largest UFO conference in the world, which is the UFO Congress. Nice. So, um, I think my, my lecture is on the 15th and I'll be speaking. And then somewhere that week, which is an all week event, sometime I'll be also giving, um, uh, conducting the, the UFO night vision skywatch, which I've been doing for the past like four years, which mm -hmm. is always a lot of fun. Oh, and then fast forward into March. I've been talking to people in, in Texas doing a UFO conference out there. I've been talking to people, you know, in July for another UFO conference. So I'm, I'm going to be all over. Um, my website's usually pretty well updated. Very cool. Let me ask you this, because you go to a lot of these conventions and expos and things of that nature. I was watching a documentary, uh, you know, almost a year ago on um, a giant rock out there in Joshua Tree. And uh, the, at the beginning of the documentary, they they were giving a little bit of history about that area of the, of the high desert. And I guess, you know, people have gone out to, to this part of the, of the desert to, uh, you know, expand their consciousness, I guess you can say, if <laughs> people catch my drift and, and, you know, kind of explore some of these fringe topics. And one of the things that they said in that documentary that I found really interesting is that apparently that, you know, in the sixties, when, when these gatherings were starting, the government was sending, uh, people to infiltrate these, uh, you know, these groups of people thinking that it might be like a front for, uh, some kind of communist movement. Obviously, the world has, <laughs> obviously, the world has changed a lot since the sixties. Although the, <laughs> the more things change, the more they stay the same. I'll, I'll say that much. But again, you go to conventions a lot. I've been to a few myself and I feel like every year they just get bigger and bigger. What does this tell you? Do you think people are just more interested and more open to this kind of stuff? Or do you think more people are experiencing unknown phenomena and they're going to these places seeking answers? You know, it, it's, it's, to me, it's been one of the major frustrations. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that so many people are interested in it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and they, they come to these conferences, but why they come is, is, is varied of, you know, across the spectrum as, as any subject you can imagine. It's like, so the, um, the UFO conference now they do out in Joshua Tree, Contact in the Desert. Um, I think the place you're talking about is called, you know, Giant Rock. Yeah. And it's, it's been a place, yeah, since the fifties where people would go out and, He's kind of considered UFO hotspot where we had this movement of, um, sort of a spiritualism, um, contactee 
sort of a thing where where you got people coming out saying they were actually from these other planets right. or they were liaisons to these aliens and and then you had you know people building strange structures like one of the contactees built this thing called the integratron right you know or <laughs> you climb inside of it it's all these weird things and so i, I don't mean to laugh cuz to me it's 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 odd because i don't understand it i don't mean to like demean what some of these people believe, but the problem is you get a lot of people who come to these events and the, their experience is very, very subjective. I see. So right. where right. they might see something in the sky through night vision moving around to them, it's confirmation that the Palladians are communicating to them. Mm-hmm. Um, you got the guy next to you who knows something about night vision and says, no, those are actually bats that you're seeing. Yeah. You know, but you can't tell them otherwise. Right. So I think it does kind of hinder some things because what does the media do? And they've been better at this, but when they show up and they cover these events, they go for the people literally wearing tinfoil hats <laughs> because it's funny and they can poke fun at right. it. Right. Right. Correct. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, man. So it, it kind of muddies the water. It's, it's I've, I wonder. I, I would, I would kind of wish that they would, uh, almost have two separate conferences, you know, and, and, uh, I don't know. The experiencers is, you know, what they call themselves, mm-hmm. I, I think is, is another way of understanding possibly that we're, we're talking about the same phenomenon possibly, yeah. but their way of understanding it is far more spiritualistic, which is also very hard to quantify. Right. Um, it still could be just as real. Yeah. But it, it's very hard to quantify. And then you have those who want to remain strictly scientific and um, they're going to be debunking a lot of their own work and their own findings and, and um, which is fine. Yeah. That's a, a different way of understanding. And, and it doesn't always mesh very well having those two worlds together. Yeah, no, it's definitely somewhat of a, uh, a bit of a struggle within the uh, that community between finding answers and sifting through some of the yeah, uh, personal some accounts. Yeah, people who are just receiving the information, mm-hmm. and there's some people who are trying to interpret it, and they're not always the same people. Yeah, talking about debunking, this is something exactly. that that you've done um, on your show, Fact or Fake. And for the people that are not familiar with it, I personally, I don't think it was a show about debunking. I think. And the purpose was always, you know, just trying to find the answers to some of these unexplained events. But one of the things that I and, you know, I I'm just going to admit it here on air because I was one of the people that for many, many years up until recently, really always felt that that video footage from the Mexican Air Force. And I think a, a lot of people are, know what I'm talking about, but there was a piece of footage that came out some years ago that showed some strange lights being filmed uh, by pilots of the uh, Mexican Air Force. And, you know, it was very compelling footage. I mean, like I said, up until (laughs) less than a year ago, I think, I was still under the impression that, you know, this was a legitimate piece of footage that showed unknown craft flying over Mexican skies. However, I was preparing for another interview uh, a few months back, and I wanted to bring that point up. And lo and behold, I come across this article where they talk about this piece of footage and how your team, I believe, were able to analyze this video and find that 
what was on this tape was not exactly an aerial phenomena by any means, but something else entirely. Can you tell me a little bit about that? How did you analyze that video and how you arrived to the conclusion that what we were seeing was not any type of alien or secret government craft? Yeah, so this is one of them that um, kind of just had to go off of what uh, my team told me because I wasn't there that half of my team, but I looked into it. I wanted to go on it. Um, when we filmed the show, we kind of felt like we were all going to Mexico, but um, I speak Spanish and feeling like the the case that we chose to go to was probably going to be more helpful that I was at the other one. Mm-hmm. At any rate, um, the, uh, the experiments, if I'm trying to remember which, which ones they did, they first, because the video itself shot an IR and, and what this was, um, it was a drug interdiction team. They were out there flying, looking for drug traffickers uh-huh. that were, you know, flying their little planes in and, and around. And so when you get the black and white image, there's not many cues to tell you that this is even really happening in the sky. I mean, cause they're looking down from their plane and you see a couple of clouds fly by, but it's kind of hard to get a reference when it's not in color and all this. And so what we finally decided was this, is that everyone was looking at this video from the perspective, there's a term called the parallax effect. So the way I best explain this to people who aren't familiar with it is, let's say you're on a train and as you're looking out the window and you're traveling along, you look across the field and you see a field with cows in it. The cows, everything that's really far away that's against the hillside as you move, their relative position to you is, is pretty slow, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they don't look like they're changing too much. Um, they're not zooming past you. Now, look at an object now that is maybe only uh, 100 feet away from the train. So you're looking at the trees and things that line the railway. When that passes you, you only move slightly and the thing just zooms by um, because it's much closer relatively speaking, that angle is going to have a much greater effect. Mm-hmm. So that's the, that's the parallax effect. Well, when you're shooting in IR, a lot of these military cameras are very sophisticated well, they have range finding on them, and they can tell you, okay, what you're looking at there is X number of miles away or whatever it is. But one of the big problems that even pilots run into is getting disoriented spatially and when you're instrument rated, you're, you know, flying in the, in the dark, as they say, um, where you're, you're basically looking at your instruments and you have no visual cues from the outside. And that's what most commercial flight is. You fly from point A to point B and you can't worry about what's outside your window. So now you take a camera that only films in black and white and it films heat signatures, not visible light. And you're looking out there and what, we believe happened, you can actually Google this and see people who've gone even further than we did in it. You look at the relative position of what they believe were lights in the sky. And if you add it all together and and try to follow where they were and what direction they were filming and the parallax effect on how quickly these things are seen to be changing position, we felt pretty confidently what they were looking at was actually oil rigs that were on the water. They weren't in the mm-hmm. sky. It was it was below the horizon, and these are fixed positions that give off a lot of heat. But as they are 
following what, what they believe they're, they're on assignment here and they see this thing off to the side, as they start filming it, um, they're still going at a pretty decent rate. But remember, these, these IR cameras, these flares have a huge range. They can pick up on stuff really far away. So in the moment, it doesn't look like it's changing position drastically. But when those oil rigs are spaced, you know, a couple miles apart, they do start to look like they're changing position, but they're not really. It's right. just your relative position and the parallax effect. And, and that's what we concluded. And uh, we feel pretty confident that others who have, have done the same thing, um, these objects were not moving. They were stationary. Um, and it's not to say anything against the Mexican government and their ability to analyze. Um, we applaud them for bringing this forward. Right. Um, because a lot of these governments hold on to this stuff. And we found that Latin American countries, I believe, um, are far more willing to bring this stuff out. When, when was the last time you yeah. saw uh, the U.S. Air Force, you know, or or somebody post a video and say, "Hey, guys, help us! We can't figure this out." Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly. the point. And I found it fascinating because I'm like, you look at the picture of the oil rigs and you look at the configuration of you know where the the those open flames at the top of the towers are, and then you look at the footage. Uh And yeah, you can almost line them up. If you overlay them, you know, if you overlay one on top of the other, you can almost get them to line up pretty much. And uh, as much as I want to see a piece of footage and go like, yes, that is a legitimate unknown object up in the sky. I don't think it does any one of us any service to propagate a video that is not what we hope it is. Yeah. At least, you know, in the quest to get to, no, to and, an answer. And they took that video and you'll see compilations when they, people post YouTube, like the best videos, UFO videos of the year, right? Yeah. Or I saw that on CNN being replayed over and over, or I think Larry King was still around at the time. And so they, they put these things on and they play them in loops and they talk about them and okay, we don't really know what it is. Well, then they, they let it go. But the people who know better... The people who are like, well, there's a 90% chance I think that one was solved. They keep bringing these videos up and putting them in as the best evidence of UFOs. And that's what does kind of anger me. It's kind of like, it was a cool video, but let's move on. You know, let's find something that isn't so easily explained. It's absolutely true. And like I said, I, I, it was very informative. Uh, If people want to read a little bit more about that, the article I actually came across was on the, openminds.tv website and um, if you guys do a quick Google search, we'll post the link as well, but uh, if you guys want to Google it, it's famous Mexican UFO video debunked by TV host and staying on topic with Latin America, whether it's because of their history and their culture, I find, you know, Latin America to have some of the the most fascinating uh, history, you know, uh, going back to Machu Picchu and some of the pyramids and cities of of old that you can find out there. A lot of people have made the argument that these ancient civilizations had contact with aliens. And I'm totally speculating here. I'm just thinking out loud, but I wonder if that plays a role in their openness when it comes to this phenomena. And Let's dive into another piece of footage that just came out. I'll be 100% honest with you. It's only been uh, probably two weeks since it's come out. I've seen it a few times and I'm having a hard time deciding what it is that I'm seeing. 
And I'm talking about this video that came out of Santiago in Chile, also shot by the Air Force down there in Chile this time. And if I remember correctly, the crew on board was uh, actually in a helicopter. Apparently, they had just gotten their own FLIR camera. And this was just a, a, a test of this equipment on board of this helicopter. When they spotted this this strange object, for the people that haven't seen it, you just see this object. And by the description of the crew, they said that it was flying roughly at the same altitude and speed as the helicopter. When they spotted it, and they could see it. It was broad daylight. It was a nice, beautiful day. and uh, they recorded this back in 2014. They just released it after two years. They had some of their best and brightest look at this footage. And like you mentioned, they put it out there for the world and said, hey, we honestly have no idea what's going on. What do you make of this particular piece of footage? Are there certain characteristics of this footage that you find interesting that could point to either a secret government craft an extraterrestrial craft, or is this just some freak weather phenomena that, that we have yet to discover? Cool, yeah. Um, before I dive into that, I was just looking back on this um, the Mexican video, and uh -huh. I have to admit this is kind of funny. Uh -huh. I don't. We didn't actually do that one on our show. Oh, really? <laughs> that, yeah, I was repeating what I had heard from Ben McGee uh, from the TV show Chasing UFOs. Now oh. we did. I think mm -hmm. we did review the video on one of our, you know, like at the beginning segment where we talked about going to do it. But, um, the other half of the team did another UFO video, but not that one, but everything I said is true. It's just <laughs> that Ben McGee did it on chasing. <laughs> ah, gotcha. Okay. So, anyways, I'm, I'm getting Alzheimer's. Okay. <laughs> so let's go back. So, um, shows, ben, I don't know how you um, keep yeah, up I, with it. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> well, it's funny because people are like, remember the time, you went to the one place and you did the one one thing, and I'm like, uh, "Are you sure it was me?" <laughs> right. That's why I'm always impressed. Really know. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm got this pulled up in front of me. I'm looking at the video from Chile. Um, I'll start out by saying this is another example of um, a country who's been very open, at least um, ostensibly, you know to the public saying that we will open our files. Um, anything that's unexplained with UFOs, the public has the right to know. And so they did hold on to this one for a little bit. Um, not sure exactly why they held it for a couple of years, but they come out with it and say, okay, look, it's time to show the people. And um, you have this cool object that's filmed. Um, if I remember correctly, gosh, it was, was it almost 20, 30 minutes? I think it was like nine minutes, seven seconds. Or something. Nine minutes? Oh, okay. But I, I think that, they, yeah, at some point, I mean, they had to, they had to turn around, um, you know, for fuel. They couldn't keep following the thing. But right. it was, relatively speaking, um, it's quite a long time to have a sighting. So they come out, you know, they've, they've had their meetings, they've had their discussions, and they say, okay, we're stumped. Which is really cool. Um, you're using the same class of thermal camera. I think it may have even been the same company that made it that uh, the Mexican um, uh, agency was using when they filmed their incident. So it's got it's got a long range. You've got it mounted, you know, on this helicopter. Helicopters cruising along. Um, I actually used to live in Chile for a few years, so I'm very familiar with 
um, the area, Vigna del Mar, not too far northward. They're, they're kind of south of Santiago. So what's really cool is, is they're, you know, videoing this thing. You got some experienced pilots, which, um, some people will say they are trained observers, whatever that's supposed to mean. You know, I, I kind of have a feeling that no one is really trained to look at UFOs, but right. they should know their equipment. And this, uh, the couple of videos, if, if you want to look this up for those who are listening, you go to, um, the Huffington Post story on it. Leslie Keen, um, ufologist who well known has divided these videos up into different segments. And so you'll see at least a couple times, um, where it seems to expel some type of a plume. And, um, on this setting, pulling this up as I'm looking at it on this setting, they have the, the, the thermal set to black hot. Now all thermal cameras, you can usually switch the polarity. So what you're seeing is black is the hottest part of it. And you'll see two ovals that look like they're kind of joined together. And what's coming out the back does look like an exhaust. Um, and my gut instinct, you know, from seeing this is it's something terrestrial. Right. It's something conventional yeah, per so se, maybe so. not in maneuvering, but it's it's some type of jet propulsion is my gut instinct. So what is it? Right. Uh, that doesn't mean that it's, you know, made by us or, or made by man, but certainly it kind of puts it more in that realm. You know, as you're yeah. thinking like, well, if you came from another world, you think you're going to be using fossil fuels to travel through our airspace. Exactly, yeah. It's definitely something um, oxidizing in so I don't our know. air. Would you say that it's swamp gas? Yeah, nine minutes? Yeah, nine minutes of swamp gas. <laughs> yeah. It's the planet not, Venus. Not swamp gas, but nine minutes, you're you're looking at something that if it were, let's say, uh, it had been proposed, the French, I think they had them review it, and the French had said that there was a plane that was coming a commercial flight that right. was dumping their um like excess their water or, or something. something. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The condensation, which doesn't make sense. Yeah, no, that's a tough that's a you tough know, it, it has to be very, very hot. I'm all down for explanations for some of this phenomena. Believe me, I am the first one in line for okay, if, if it's not someone explaining phenomena, I'm always open to to hear what it could be. But I remember reading a bit about how they try to explain it as some type of airplane. But it's a bit perplexing. One one of the theories that I've read, I mean, I don't think it's picked up too much steam, but some people have said that this could be a drone spraying uh, chemtrails, which a lot of people believe it's a phenomenon that's happening over the skies of, of mm-hmm. you know many people. We can only speculate, but what could the purpose of something like this be? And what could it be doing in Chile? I mean, uh, what do we say about this? That the Chilean government has some type of secret program of some sort? Well, I'd say probably one of two things. Um, number one, they claim that if it were a commercial flight, they would have known about it. And it's not one of theirs um, military. It's not a military exercise because here's the military reporting that it's not theirs. Right. Um, so it's either somebody else's you know, United States or Chile, Chile doesn't have a lot of enemies. Right. <laughs> but someone who wanted to spy, and we work very well with them. We have joint um, operations and things. And so not that we could be spying on them, but I guess if we wanted to fly it over there, we could fly it wherever we wanted. Right. 
Um, so you got that. Or the other theory that this is something entering the atmosphere out of orbit. Uh-huh. Um, it is true that what they said, the altitude, I believe they placed it at 4,000-something feet. If that's true and it's the same altitude, an object traveling in that heavy of an atmosphere for nine minutes burning up is really unheard of. Right. Um, and to be turning on and off as it seems to do. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. if you can't control it and it's, it's coming down and it's going to land, usually by this point it's out of control and it's accelerated to thousands of miles an hour and then it incinerates. It's not a controlled, eh, come down, cruise at 4,000 feet, get really hot and put off some smoke and then stop the smoke and, so that doesn't make sense. Right. So I think what you're left with is that this is is a um, secret operation by by some other government. And what is it doing? That's where the conspirators jump in and they're like, "Oh, chemtrails. Right. Got to be right. it. They got to be spraying something over the Chileans because they're having too many babies or something." And right. <laughs> yeah, they, they yeah. do have large families, right? <laughs> so they're like, "Well, maybe maybe they." We don't want them having anymore. I don't know. Right. It's funny um, because it's but but that is the interesting true. part. But uh, shout out to everybody in Chile. <laughs> I have uh, friends from Chile, and they're they're great folks. Uh, but one of the things that was was interesting for me as well was reading that apparently the crew on board of the uh, helicopter contacted two radio control towers, and both radio towers told them that they could see the helicopter but they could not see this other object. I guess it's safe to say that there is some advanced type of technology there, right? Because, I mean, I'm no radar technician or, or an expert at it, but we relied on radars a lot to point out things of this nature. And for an object that seemed to be the same size as the Army helicopter to not get picked up on the radar, that is a bit strange, right? And that's why this is such a great case. I think it's a really good case because um, you have an official source. Um, you get the benefit of having a, a, a large panel of scientists analyze it and come to consensus and peer-reviewed by other agencies who came up with silly suggestions. But it's still not able to be um, debunked. And let's say this was a, a foreign intelligence operation. and. Um, they did this to see if it would be spotted. Well, it worked because now they hear they have the results here. Now um, they've reported it didn't show up on our radar. We could visually see you um, and we recorded what you were doing, but we have no idea who you are and what you were doing. So if it is a foreign government, that's a bonus to them. That's like a calling card that said, yep, we can go where we want. You're only going to see us on your thermals, but you can't keep up with us. And we, we disappear. You know, so that's that's kind of a scary thing. and But then we kind of get into the technology that people are reporting with the triangles, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this very well, and I'm just throwing this out there, um, typically not reported that these, these things have anything to do with uh, jet propulsion, which is the outlier here. But when you look at these two orbs um, in broad daylight, it, it looks very much like... Um, you're looking at the back side of one of these triangles. Oh, wow. And uh, I've actually seen one of them, you know, that had three orbs. It was completely silent. 
just cruising at a very comfortable couple hundred miles an hour. Um, and, uh, it, the thing that, that really baffled me, if that wasn't enough, this was at night when you looked up, you know, from the ground, it looked as if the middle part of this was completely transparent. Oh, it looked like the sky above. Mm-hmm. So I could spend, you know, months of my life sitting here thinking about it, whether it was extraterrestrial or ours. And at this point, I don't know if it really matters. The fact is the technology exists and that's, I'm convinced of, I'm convinced that there, whoever's it is, it's flying our skies. And there is something that has some ability to, uh, cloak, you know, in, in a way, not just, you know, by radar, but, but actually visibly look like it's not really there. So yeah, weird. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I really were, but I really like the case. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. And I guess we have to kind of wait and see if uh, any future analyses of, of this footage yields any any results. But staying on the topic of UFOs, as we mentioned at the top of the show, uh, last year's election gave way to a ton of things. One of the, the things that came out during that campaign cycle was uh, some leak emails from John Podesta and and these emails there is a apparent mention to some unidentified flying objects i know that you keep up with a lot of the government and you know possible disclosure of you know ufo knowledge what can you tell me about these emails you know a lot of people took them almost as admission that the government has knowledge of the ufo phenomena and they're not really talking about it but have you had a chance to go through some of these emails and what, what is the vibe you get? Was there anything in those emails that will be pointing in that direction? Um, well, just to kind of, I guess, set the, the stage for those who aren't familiar. Um, I guess not everyone is so geeky like I am and know all the players in this <laughs> topic. But um, John Podesta, for those who don't know, was uh, Hillary Clinton's campaign manager. Um, before that, he was uh, special advisor to President Obama for a year, been in the White House advising him on, it's kind of hard to, to actually find out what, I mean, you Google it and it's, it's a small reference, but not really talked about why he was there. Uh-huh. And before that, he was um, Bill Clinton's chief of staff, um, I believe was was his, uh, his position there in the White House. So very familiar with the Clintons. Um, also, it's no secret that he is a big uh, UFO buff. Uh, he loves the X-Files. They threw him a party for his birthday in the White House, all about the X-Files. And he's spoken at UFO press meetings where he's, you know, said, hey, this is so important that uh, the government needs to come out with this information. And so anyways, legitimately, it's not a joke. It's not a just sort of a publicity stunt. He really is interested in UFOs and we know that Hillary and, and Bill are as well. So, um, along comes these WikiLeaks, um, starts dumping all this information. Um, and John Podesta's emails, I want to say, gosh, I could be wrong. I'm just throwing this out there. I thought they dumped at least 13,000 of them. Yeah. Something like that. Um, a pretty I'm, I'm putting big together number. my lecture right now. So it's a lot. Um, so what, what comes out of it, I'm not saying that I condone this. Obviously, somebody hacked in and, and emails are private, but man, it's kind of like trying to keep your head from turning away at looking at a traffic accident. You know, you're like, well, 
I know it's not right to gawk and look and see what happened here, but what's in there? Right, <laughs> you know, right. so you go and, and uh, thanks to the work of a few people like Grant Cameron, Canadian uh, researcher who loves the subject of uh, presidents and UFOs, he went through um, meticulously and, and pulled out every reference um, to UFOs. So what do we find? Well, um, one of the things I'm going to be lecturing about in Arizona, which is really cool, because my focus has been looking at the talk shows and why has Obama and Bill Clinton and now Hillary, why have they been on Jimmy Kimmel and mm-hmm. uh, Ellen and all these other shows talking about UFOs? Whose idea was it? Yeah. That's one of our primary questions. Well, we get that answered in part in Podesta's, one of his emails. So 2015, um, it was either 15 or early in 16, Hillary was supposed to appear on Jimmy Kimmel. And uh, she did appear. um, But uh, she, you know, I'm trying to remember the content of all of the, what was discussed and, and whatever, but no, no discussion of UFOs. Well, when we go back into the leaked emails, um, one of her assistants, John Podesta, emailed her, uh, the assistant to Hillary, and said, how did it go on Kimmel? So I'm, I'm assuming this was before it aired, but right after the filming. And the assistant comes back and says, um, it, it went great, but uh, Jimmy didn't ask her about UFOs. She was pretty discouraged because she'd been practicing uh, this segment about uh, the difference between UFOs and UAPs. Hmm. She'd been practicing it for five minutes. Wow. Okay, so clearly now people could always speculate. Well, it's always set up. It's always staged. They always give them the answers and the questions and whatever. That's that's a reasonable thing to assume. But here we have evidence that specifically the UFO question, you could imply here she or her campaign asked Jimmy to, to tell, to ask her about it. Okay. So he didn't get to it or maybe he proposed it or whatever it was, but they didn't ask the question and she had practiced her answers. Okay. So some people are thinking, well, what's the big deal with that? Well, I'm putting together a video right now that analyzes this. And when she goes back on the second time, um, they're talking about legalizing uh, medical marijuana and stuff. And then the, the subject quickly changes to Jimmy Kimmel saying, look, I had your husband here. He was on and um, he's really interested in UFOs. And I asked him what he did to look into the files. Your, your, your uh, husband said he didn't find anything. And you watch her and she's nodding. Yes, yes, yes. As if she knows what to expect the question. And then she says, well, I'm going to look again. Okay. So now knowing what we know, the question was coming. Then she talks about this whole difference between UAPs and UFOs. What it says is a couple of things. There was an effort, and I don't know where she's going to go with it now that she's not elected, but there's a definite effort to bring out the subject, and John Podesta was pushing it. He was pushing it hard. And if you think about all the different subjects that could be embarrassing to a politician, Okay, and and the, the different scandals that were brought up, and which ultimately probably affected many people's opinions, is and then you know why she didn't garner the um, electoral vote she needed. Um, 
at any rate, if you think of all the things you could bring up that's embarrassing about a politician, UFOs are probably not a good subject to introduce um, if someone is really into it, if you want to maintain the credibility of someone. If you don't believe me, just you know, talk to me for a little bit more, <laughs> because <laughs> if I ever want to go back, you know, working for the government, it, it may not fare well that I, I'm obviously a big, uh, you know, spokesperson about the subject now. Um, it is what it is. So here she's, she's talking about it. And not once have I had ever seen the opposition, her opponents make fun of her, ridicule her about it or bring it up, which is really weird. And John Podesta who seemed to be in control of her campaign, if you thought this was a loose cannon, you'd get rid of him. You wouldn't allow him to be going and talking in public about air, you know, ask, ask Hillary about UFOs and encouraging the press to do it and right. all this stuff. If there wasn't something to this. Right. Right. Okay. So that in itself, I think is weird. Um, and the second part of this, I think the take home lesson is this. Her answer to Kimmel was, um, I'm going to look again. And he says, oh, really? And he says, because your husband said he couldn't find anything. And John Podesta had filed FOIA requests, um, was sent on the errand of Bill Clinton to call up Area 51 to do all these things to look into it and said they didn't get anywhere. So what does that tell you? If you could possibly, at the time, she positioned very well to be the next president, you're heading into a possible presidency, and then somebody, or, or then you come out and you tell the public, um, yeah, I know my husband looked, I know there's a lot of people who looked, but I'm going to look again. What does that tell you about your belief and, and what it means to be president and commander-in-chief? That's kind of a scary thing because what you're, in essence, acknowledging is you're not the top dog. The, the lesson behind this is I'm not the most powerful person in the world. If I, or I mean, in the country, if I become president, there are people above me. There are people who are the puppet masters who keep knowledge from even the president. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's the possibility she's acknowledging. It really kind of tells you what's going on in Washington and how they they perceive their pecking order, which is very interesting. It really boggles my mind. And thank you for putting it in that context, because yeah, I think that a lot of times uh, we get lost in the bells and whistles of conspiracy and we don't pay enough attention. Yeah, we don't pay attention to the words, to what is being actually said. Exactly. And a lot of times, like you just mentioned, it is quite scary that uh, Hillary Clinton, who, yeah, by everyone's, estimate was to win the presidency it was a form of admitting that that there is another layer of power if there you will and uh and that is definitely a, a bit of a scary realization <laughs> absolutely absolutely ben we're almost out of time but let me ask you one final question again what's your favorite color <laughs> 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 that, that 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 was darn it uh no but again you know, 2017, you know, without getting too political and, you know, I don't know where our listeners uh, political opinions lie, but the reality, the fact of the matter is we're going to have a new president. We, are, we already have a, a new president elect, but, uh, you know, the new president will be taking office next week. 
Um, I like how he, you're not even saying his name. Jesus. That's amazing. <laughs> Thanks for just taking out the subtleties <laughs> here, Genevieve. I appreciate it. Uh, but, uh, you know, we're going to have a precedent here in just a few days. And I don't need to tell people, you know, he just shoots from the hip, talks what's on his mind and off the cuff. You have analyzed these interviews with President Clinton, President Obama, Hillary Clinton. Uh, are you, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, like, are you, are you ready for is there President much to Donald analyze? Trump? Is there much Hang to on. Down? Are you ready for <laughs> President Donald Trump to sit down maybe with Kimmel and have that question posed to him? What can we expect from a, a Trump presidency as far as uh, UFOs are concerned? And have you began to study his mannerisms and hopes that, you know, one day, he, like I said, he will be on Kimmel's couch and faced with that question of UFOs. <laughs> well, that's probably going to be my ending segment in my lecture I'm finishing. Because um, I, I really haven't, we, we have so little information. I heard on Coast to Coast um, a couple nights ago, someone talking about the same thing. And um, I tend to agree that you know, I, I too like to remain politically neutral here, but it's no secret that um, he doesn't have much of a filter and he says things that are shocking. Um, he's he's very narcissistic, as as was Hillary, yeah. two of the most conceited, I think, candidates we've ever had. But what happens here is, first of all, we, we have no indication that he's even interested in the subject. But if there are secret keepers, if um, some people suggest they sit down, they brief you, and you, you know, I'll bring out the book of secrets or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, if if they do give a debriefing, and they have some choice into who they tell and how much they tell, if I were that guy, uh, head of the secret secret group, I wouldn't. I would wait. <laughs> I wouldn't tell. Uh, President Trump, mm -hmm. because if you want it kept a secret, um, he's the type of guy, it seems like um, he he doesn't like anyone telling him what to do. Yeah. And he likes to turn things on its head and would come out and just spill the beans. Um, I, I think any president who gets into that seat when they make promises like Hillary did, She'd been in the White House before, but she says, well, I'm going to tell. I'm going to tell the public. But she put that caveat on in there that said, if it's not anything concerning national security. And there's the key. Well, what do you think this is concerning? Right. If the government's been keeping it secret for 60 plus years, it has something to do with national security. So that's a meaningless statement to make. And I feel the same if a new president comes in and is debriefed and says, look, the gravity of the situation is this. You were an outsider. You knew nothing about the secret world. You knew nothing about the history of this. And we're telling you, it's not just your life that might be at stake, but this is why the American people can't know right now. Whatever reasons they give, um, if that's how it happens, I'm not saying it is. But I think it's compelling enough that I, I really don't have hope. Mm. We just don't have the leverage. There's no leverage to force them to tell us. Right. So that's kind of where I'm at on it. And um, I guess we'll we'll wait and see because uh, most people in the disclosure movement got kind of get discouraged. They thought Hillary was the best chance. Mm -hmm. I kind of disagree. 
I, I think she would have got in there and no one would have told her anything and we'd be back where we are. So, right. Interesting stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. As we close out the show, you know, it's funny because the, the last time we had the pleasure of having you on the show, we were talking about precedents and UFOs and we discussed your, you know, and honestly, it's, it's an excellent analysis. Uh, I, I encourage people to, to go to YouTube and, and check it out. Can you give people the, uh, the URL for your YouTube channel or can they just search you Ben Hansen on YouTube to find those videos? Yeah, you could go there. Also, probably the easiest way would just be to go to the website at benhanson.com. And then, um, I believe in the, in the side panel, um, at least one of the videos is posted there. So you can click on it there and then it, you'll get to the channel that way. But if you just Google, you know, Jimmy Kimmel Clinton UFO interview or something, it'll come up. Nice. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ben. As always, it's, it's been a lot of fun and it's been very, very informative. Every time we talk, uh, even when it's, you know, at Ernie's parties or something, we always get into some of these <laughs> topics. And, and like I said, I always walk away with, you know, a new interesting perspective. So, a more insight. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So thank you so much, Ben. We really appreciate you being so generous with your time and being with us tonight to talk about all this, uh, all the madness that's going on and, and really just the first two weeks of the year. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. Whatever it is, 2017 is going to be it's going to be uh, action packed with news. It's going to keep us all busy. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> ben, enjoy the rest of your night, and thanks you. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, thanks, guys. Bye bye. That was Ben Hansen of Sci-Fi Channel's Factor Fake. Check out his website, BenHanson.com. Follow him on Twitter because he's always posting stuff and and letting people know mm -hmm. where he's going to be. You can find him on Twitter at BenHanson00. And he's always at all sorts of conferences and speaking at various events. So yeah. he's a high it, demand. It's, yeah, no, he's it's definitely worth, um, worth keeping up with what he's doing and where he's going to be. Yeah, absolutely. And if you want to check out our previous interview with Ben, where we went in deep on the uh, on his analysis that of was the interview. interesting. Super yeah, no, it really was. Uh, you can also find that interview on our website at WOTRradio.com. Uh, we also post links to his videos on YouTube. So if, if you're having trouble finding them, you can find them there. But definitely check that out. And believe me, yeah, Ben Ben has his finger on the pulse, as I said, when it comes to all these things. So mm -hmm. if you're going to be in the Huntington Beach area in the next coming days, definitely make plans to, uh, to yeah, visit. Yeah, check out that new, new yeah. event. Yeah, no, it's going to be happening on Wednesday, February 22nd at the Huntington Beach International Surfing Museum at 7 p.m. hosted by Ben Hansen. Another great event by Haunted Orange County. And uh, visit the website, hauntedoc.com, where you can get pre-sale tickets at a special price, 10 bucks a pop, which is not bad at all. That being said, as always, Engineer Frank on Twitter, West of the Rockies on Facebook. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you're watching this on YouTube right now, right below you, there's a subscribe button. Click subscribe, leave us a comment, let us know what you think about all these UFOs, well, what's going on, what can we expect for 2017. And of course, the paranormal is still a field that keeps developing and growing. And honestly, it's fascinating. I think we live in a very exciting time where technology is lending itself to a lot of these things. And things and, are becoming a bit more mainstream as well. Yeah, yeah, it's more accepted. You don't get funny looks from people that Not much anymore. Many. <laughs> Not too many. Genevieve Uway, you can find her on Twitter at Genevieve Uway. That's what I meant to say. I probably said it backwards. <laughs> Sorry, my dyslexia got the best of me. And uh, catch her Thursdays at 
8 p.m. here, hosting No Added Flavors. And starting this week. That's right. That being said, take care, be safe, God bless, and do anything too crazy. Want to see you back next week. In the meantime, enjoy this jam. We're going to go out with a little bit of, oh, I don't know what's good. How about, let's go with a little Rodriguez. If you haven't checked out the documentary Searching for Sugar Man, definitely check it out. That album was put out by Light in the Attic Records. We had the pleasure of interviewing. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the, the head of Light in the Attic what, Records a while back. Always good to keep up with what they're putting out. Yeah, no, I, I'm a big fan of that label. And, and you see me buying stuff from the Light in the Attic uh, quite often. And this is one of my favorite tracks. Rodriguez, here we go. This one's called Sugar Man. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Hi. West of the Rockies with Frank the Engineer on the Independent FM, Los Angeles.